three, two, one, zero, 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 zero. From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. Welcome to Stand Up For The Truth for July 11th. My name is Mary Danielson. I'm your host today, and we're so glad you joined us for the podcast. As always, our goal is to educate and edify, but more than anything, to point you to Jesus Christ, who is our only hope for salvation, the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, we actually await his return to usher in his glorious kingdom, wherein righteousness will dwell. What a day that will be. But for the moment, the church is still vital and active in the world, and so we look for him to help us to be salt and light to a dying world, however he would have us uh, do that. My verse this morning is Hebrews twelve one to 3. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Let's look to the Lord this morning and invite him into our conversation. Oh, Lord, we look to you for every provision and every help, uh, especially in our weaknesses, Lord, and in our time of need. And I pray for anyone out there who is discouraged in their souls and who is weary. And I ask that you lift them up, um, set their feet on a solid rock. Lord, thank you so much for all your promises in that way. Thank you for the race that we're in. Keep us on the path of righteousness so that we can bring you glory and honor. Pray for our guests this morning. We pray for Jim that you'd bless his ministry, uh, his family, uh, all the things he's involved in, the things he has his hand to. Ask for every need to be met, Lord, every provision, and, and just give him the joy of his salvation. Thank you, Jesus. We love you so much today. In your precious name, amen. Today, our guest is Jim Farrington of First Stone Ministries. Their mission is to lead people to freedom from homosexuality and sexual brokenness through a relationship with Jesus Christ to reach out to churches, schools, organizations, and the general public by providing education, biblical discipleship, support, and AIDS ministry. Uh, FirstStone.org. Jim, welcome to Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you so much. Good to have you here today. Tell us more about First Stone. How did it get its name, and when did it actually start? What are the roots of the ministry? All right. Well, First Stone was actually started by a mom and dad, uh, Frank and Peggy Rogers, um, and First Stone is almost 50 years old. Uh, hmm. Give us a, a few more years, and we'll be 50 years old, which is remarkable for this wow. kind of a ministry. Yeah. Um, they had a son that came out to them, and they went to their pastor, and his res- response to them was, your son's an abomination, and there's nothing we can do for you. Mm-hmm. And um, they knew instinctually that that was, that was not a good response. They knew mm-hmm. that there was something more, that God had something more. And so what they ended up doing was uh, um, starting their own parents' support group, and that's where First Stone was born. Um, 
especially in this particular area of dealing with homosexuality, um, today it would be referred to as the LGBTQ mm-hmm. uh, because that, that infiltrates so much. But back then it was dealing with homosexuality. And, and it evolved over time to become a ministry that provided outreach to those who were experiencing unwanted same-sex attraction, unwanted sexual brokenness or expressions, aberrant ex- expressions of uh, relational and or sexual brokenness. And and so we've been a we've been an offering to the local community and really to the the world at large. We get calls all the time from everywhere, yeah. not just locally. And um yeah, so we we our tagline is that freedom is not found in a program or a method, but in the person of Jesus mm, Christ. Amen. And we point to him, and we point to the work of the cross. Um, and it's interesting that you, you brought up uh, Hebrews 12. Um, I recently was reflecting on on that particular passage where it says, who for the joy that was set before him and during the cross, despising the shame and set down at the right hand of the throne of God, and, and realizing that in his choosing, um, with joy before him to despise the shame, he knew, he knew that he would hang naked. And that was so powerful for me knowing that he chose, he chose that for me. He chose that for us. Mm-hmm. And that, that really emboldens my passion for what he's done in my life and for all of us here. We have such a passion to see Jesus move in places where mankind says it's not possible. Well, that's 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 wonderful because they, they are such great verses. And then he it says in three, he endured such hostility from sinners against himself, and we yeah. are privileged to endure a hostility for causes such as the one that you work towards. You know, helping people to become free. Um, and I know this is such a hot button topic these days. Um, and there's yeah, just yeah. a lot of vitriol involved and a lot of divisiveness. Uh, I would imagine that. I mean, it's full-time, right? Did you go from more of a part-time um, expression of this ministry to full-time? Because, boy, the, the, the activists are full-time, right? Not just June, but year-round. So has it, has it changed? Oh, yeah. yeah? Um, so I, when I started out with First Stone, I actually moved here in 2003 to begin to do the hard work of um, uncovering um, history of abuse and molestation and exposure to pornography and um, and at some point went from um, be, being a participant in uh, what was what we were doing then was called Living Waters, um, based out of uh, Desert Street Ministries. And we, I went from that to being a servant leader, like an assistant leader, and then at some point I rose to being a the men's small group servant leader, and um, and then. Uh, particularly, I um, First Stone has a parent support group, and I had checked in with the woman who at the time was on staff at First Stone, and uh, turned out that she didn't have a, anyone helping her lead. And the, we, what we like to do with First Stone is actually have a man and a woman be the leader, the representation of the Imago Dei, uh, the image of God in man and woman. So I, I volunteered to help her, and I walked into the building, and um, having been there so many times previously uh, for discipleship and pastoral care, and 
the the power of God came on me when I walked into that building, and it was understood that this is where He wanted me. Mm. And so now here I am. I went I went from helping to to help lead the parent support group to becoming the leader of the support group, mm. then to become a, a, a part time intern to full time intern to now I'm the men's minister on staff of First Stone. Wow. wow. For such a time as this, right? I know the church uses that a lot these days, but this is a specific time in church history and in church life it and is. culture that that we need to be ready and equipped for every good work and and all of that. So that's fantastic yeah. that the Lord has led you that way. I guess at this point, I, I wanted to ask you about your your testimony. I mean, just tell us how God brought you through all the things He did to bring you to this point. Could you give us your testimony? Yeah. So. Um, when I was reflecting on on how I was going to open that door with you, um, I, re- um, I was thinking about when I was 12, um, I remember making that conscious choice um, or that, that thought process in my head that these things uh, keep happening to me, so I must be this way, and it had to do with um, molestation. And... Um, the environment that I grew up in, I had a disconnected father, emotionally absent father, um, and, uh, and my mom was also disconnected. They both came from very broken backgrounds. Um, and by the time I was, my dad had exposed me to pornography at age eight, where I, he took me to work with him and gave me a pornographic comic book, and then I found the rest of his pornography. But, but I had already been molested that by that point in time, and it it uh, unraveled this the 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 need for connection and relationship, which I didn't have in the home, and um, it opened doors to babysitters and friends, and um, and back in the seventies, there was such a uh, an open door to all things sexual. Um, mm-hmm. I think that we were just coming off of the the, the tail end of the the sexual liberation uh, movement in the '60s, and it kind of opened the door. And so, um, um, some things were not necessarily taboo like they would be now. Um, um, novels and books and stuff like that, um, in addition to real pornography and um, the molestation that I that I went through. What it did is it gave me a paradigm. Um, so by the time I was 15, my entire worldview of human sexuality and human relating came from the molestation and the sexual abuse and the pornography. And outside of that, I had zero identity. Um, and then when I was 18, um, I had an encounter with a woman. Um, I worked for this little store called TGNY. It was sort of like a little mini Walmart. It was it had all these little uh, uh, departments within it, and um, uh, I felt compelled to boast to her about my homosexuality, and and she shared the word of God with me. And the what I remember about that encounter is that the kindness that came from her, um, the love that came from her, the joy that came from her, and the peace, the the way that she shared it with me was wasn't confrontational. It wasn't you know you're going to hell. It was. This is what the Word of God says. And um, I had been raised Catholic, not really hearing any of that previously, and I went home that night feeling a, a literal sensation in my chest that I knew something had happened, but I couldn't tell you what it was. Hmm. 
And then over a period of time, um, the Lord brought um, my friend Stephen Black. He's the executive director of First Done, and he um, he also shared a testimony of having come out uh, coming out of homosexuality. And ironically, my mom and dad were friends with his mom and dad, so we had this, these connections. And um, I would begin to run into him at the oddest places. Um, I lived locally near near where he lived. I went to school near near where he lived. So it wasn't that that uncommon um, to like run into him at the grocery store or whatever. But it always became an encounter where where there was some type of ministry. And um, uh, what and I that particular summer, my mom had moved to Nebraska to get remarried and. Um, I was doing my last year of high school on my own, and I knew, I don't know why or how, I mean, God does, right? But I knew God was going to do something in me. Um, I had gone to confession on a Saturday at the church we'd been going to for years since we moved here, and I walked out of that, that, that church that day knowing I would never go back. And it didn't hold my answers, but I was wanting something deeper and something more and something true. And... And and then you know God brings Stephen into my life, and um, I had a, a, a chance situation um, the night before I accepted Jesus into my life. I had gone with um, my my friend, who is um, also my ex-wife, to a friend's house to watch The Exorcist, which I'd never <laughs> seen before. We were drinking margaritas and we were smoking pot, and I had dreams that night that I was begging demons to come into my body. Um, surprise, surprise. And the very next day, I felt very depressed and very um, lonely and uh, I really wanted to die, didn't want to live anymore. And this this guy that had us over the night before shows up unannounced at my at my work. And and I had a break coming. I'm like, I need, I need air. I need to get out of here. I need, I need something. And, um, and just, you know, 30 minutes really goes by quickly. And I ended up going with him. We got into his car. We go to a Taco Bell that's, that's out of the way. And we walk in, and there sits Stephen Black. And I knew when I saw him, I heard the word yes right up from me. And I, and I ran up to him. I'm like, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? You know, like, you come by my, my, my work later and bring your Bible. You know, I knew something significant was happening. <laughs> And I asked the Lord Jesus to come into my life that night. And then the very next day, coming out of Catholicism into an evangelical charismatic church. And it did not faze me. You know, people were raising their hands and worshiping Jesus. And there was so much love and sincerity. And I, yeah, I felt at home. Um, eventually, I, I married this girl. Um, there was a baby in the picture. And at the time, we didn't know who the father was. But um, she... I happened to be around when she gave birth, um, at least in the hospital. And shortly after that, after becoming a Christian, I had people telling me that if this is your baby, you're going to have to ra- marry the girl and raise the family. And having grown up in an environment where I, I my, my dad never taught me how to make responsible decisions. He never mentored me in what it means to become a man. I had They were completely hands-off. And so I did what people told me to do, uh, wanting to do the right thing. But I married a woman that I wasn't in love with, and I'd never dealt with my past. And um, I went into the military. We um, 
we ended up having another another child, and our relationship was a mess. It was it was horrible because I um, I was in this place where if a man paid attention to me, I was drawn to that because I had this belief system that I was worthless, um, and I believed that I was ugly. It was just I had all these all these belief systems in place that were driving this internal turmoil, and um, that eventually led to us. Uh, deciding to separate for a time and she came back uh, we, we were we were stationed in texas she w- came back up to call oklahoma city to to counsel with our pastor and i went to our pastor there in wichita falls and he said to me there's nothing i can do for you i can't help you which is the same thing that the rogers encountered with their son and i i walked out of there uh feeling like there was no hope that i was stuck where i was and after the last three years of a horrible marriage, I, I said, I, I want a divorce. I can't go through another three years of hell that we went through. And so uh, we split off, and she went into lesbianism, and I floundered here and there. I was in church, but I wasn't really um, um, devoted to it. I had uh, a lot of challenges, and so what I would say is that if I wasn't in the bars, I was in church. Um and then she took my girls, and they moved to um, uh, Claremore, which is just outside of Tulsa. And so I relocated to be closer to them. And it was there that I came face-to-face with all this inner inner struggle and turmoil and fighting. And um, I just decided that's it. I'm, I'm just going to uh, completely embrace this gay identity. And, um, and I... I was fully committed, out and proud. I had a pride sticker on my car. Um, I there was no mistaking if you met me. There was no mistaking of what what I identified as in my life. And it, but it was in that it was during that time that that God over time began to bring people into my life that ministered to me, and they just loved me where I was. And at some point in that interaction with them, I became aware that God was pursuing me and was so perplexing because why would God pursue me? My own father never pursued me. I, I, it, didn't, it didn't connect mm, mm. as to why he would. And, um, and then I had an, a chance encounter with this amazing lady. I'd never met her before, and I, I worked for Red Lobster as a server. And I wasn't supposed to be her server, but I ended up being her server. And at some point she says to me, you're going to think I'm crazy, but God's trying to get your attention and wants to talk to you the way a father wants to talk to a son. And I start weeping because I'm like, oh, you're not crazy. I told her, you're not crazy. And then I went to the side station. I grabbed some paper, and I brought it to her, and I said, would you write that down? And I have it laminated, and I keep it at home. But it it says, the the Lord is calling your name. That's what it says. The Lord is calling your name. The Father of all creation is calling your name, and it's a serious matter. And I knew it was. I knew how I was living was wrong. There was never one moment that I was ever, ever convinced that I was born that way or that I could be a gay Christian. Um, I had a friend who was getting a doctorate in psychology who tried very hard to convince me to uh, embrace a gay Christian identity. And it felt so defiling, the thought process, even considering it felt defiling. And I knew that there was no way I could do that. Um, And... I'm not sure exactly after that that encounter with that woman, but it wasn't long after that I finally came to this place where I, I'd had enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I hated my life. Um, I was miserable. I could be in a bar drunk and look around and understand no one here is happy. 
no one here is content. Um, and I, and I wanted something more. And, um, I cried out to the Lord and I said, if it kills me, I'm going to follow you. That was, that was, that was my declaration. I am going to follow you. And for the first time, I think I tried for three years to get free. And for the first time within 24 hours of making that, that, that declaration to the Lord, I became aware of the strength at work in me that I'd never experienced before. And, and it, and it transformed everything. Um, my friends would stop by the house and say, Hey, we're going to the bar. You want to come? And I was able to say to them with great conviction, that's not who I am anymore. Um, I couldn't tell you who I was (laughs) because I was following Jesus wherever he's going to lead me. I'm going to follow. Right. Right. Wow. Wow. Jim, that, that's yeah. just what a powerful testimony. This is Stand for the Truth. My name is Mary Danielson. Our guest today is Jim Farrington of First Stone Ministries, and we're listening to his story and how the Lord rescued him, uh, brought him to that place of surrender in Jesus Christ. And it's not a method, as you say, it's about the person of Jesus Christ. Now, you mentioned being born gay, and I know there was a, a study not too long ago, uh, a genetic, to look for a genetic link in being born yeah. gay. Can, can you talk to yeah. us about that? What, what is the, I don't know, the conventional wisdom, what's the truth about that? Well, so, so it, it, would, it would stand to reason that you have people, proponents for all things LGBTQ, would actually try to find um, clear uh, scientific evidence to be able to justify their claims that this is why we are who we are mm-hmm. and whatever. They've been doing this for years, um, and and every study that has been done has come up fruitless. Um, it, it at the most that the studies that have been done have pointed to that we have propensities toward um, certain things like alcoholism or whatever. But mm-hmm. you've never met an alcoholic that said, "I was born this way." Mm-hmm. You know, right? And um, um, and usually, usually the argument I was born this way is really something that's scripted. Number one, it's scripted. Um, and number two, it's meant to shut the conversation down. Great. You can't, a per, the, the idea behind it is meant that you can't argue with me because I was born this way. But, <laughs> but, but there's, there's nothing that corroborates that. And most of the time, what they're actually saying, and you have to listen to how they speak, is, um, that, I had these things at an early age that I didn't understand or that I felt different. And that's what they're actually pointing to. Um, but, but by, by putting that stamp of approval, in other words, I was born this way, you know, Lady Gaga and, and her music, um, um, it becomes, becomes a weapon and, so the, the the thing is to be able to enter into conversations with them. What makes you think that you were born this way, right? Rather than confronting them, is inviting them into a conversation to consider, you know, right. what the truth is. And the church, unfortunately, has not been prepared for what's come. Um, they stayed silent on this issue for many years, and this boiling frog, you know, <laughs> is <laughs> at a critical point now, and. And a lot of the stuff that they never addressed and they never dealt with is now banging on their door to knock it down. That's right. And I'm hoping in the second half um, of the podcast today to, to dive into that a little bit more and all the different views that are in the church. Uh, there's four different views about, you know, what, how the practicing of it looks or do you abstain or are you transformed? Very, very interesting. It says here on the study 
looks like 2019, they did a study. Near, nearly half a million genetic profiles from the U.S. and the U.K. found no causality between genetics and same-sex attraction. They, there's five genes, apparently, that are tied to sexuality in, in the human body, and not one of them. And nor have I ever heard anyone take the stand in a trial, a murder case, who says, I was born a murderer, I was born an Why? adulterer. I mean, right. that that would sound a bit absurd, we're born sinners, obviously. We're born ruined, but I've never heard that. And so, but like you said, this really gained a lot of traction, and it really changed the social perception of homosexual behavior forever. But I love the way you put that. It just sort of puts a brick wall, kind of like saying, I don't believe that the Bible is God's word. So then where do you go with the conversation from there? So it's one of those right. brick walls. Very, very interesting. I also want to talk to you about um, uh, conversion therapy, and we can we can start that here, and then we can continue that on. So let's just sort of uh, tease the second half here. What uh, tell us about conversion therapy? Because I know how controversial it is. I've heard about it for years. What, let's yeah. define it first, and we may have to pick it up after the break. Okay. Well, conversion therapy um, now, now as of today. The, the definition of conversion therapy is any conversation that you might have with someone about homosexuality or anything LGBTQ that, that brings a biblical truth to say that that's not God's intent and that is sin. That's what, that's what that means now. But when it was first brought out, it was meant to depict um, a type of therapy. So shock therapy, aversion therapy, you know, um, rubber bands on the wrist every time that you had, you know, an aberrant thought, you're, you're, you're snapping that rubber band. Oh my. Um, and I, and I, and I've seen this before, like over the years as I, especially since I came on, uh, full time at First Stone, doing my own investigative research into it, it was first being talked about as this ways that we're mistreating people and forcing them to, to, you know, if they're, if it's a gay man, you're forcing him to like girls. If it's a woman, you're forcing her to like men. And it's like, that's not what, that's not what it is at all. And actually the, the word of God, the word of God, um, is meant to convert the soul. That's real conversion, right? Mm -hmm. But but that's what that's how the enemy twists God's word and makes it into something really nefarious and really diabolical. Ironically, coming from the diabolical, accusing us of being diabolical. Mm. Um, so it 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 really invites more of a conversation when you have people that are absolutely uh, convinced that the that conversion therapy is something that happens, which does not. We we've never practiced conversion therapy, and um, you've had people. I don't know if you're familiar with Sam Brinton, but um, he was on Biden's uh, nuclear energy oh. cabinet, mm -hmm. and he was the guy that you know has a mustache and wears lipstick and yeah. dresses, and yeah. um, then he got caught stealing luggage, and all of the ironically, <laughs> all of the people that absolutely celebrated Sam Brinton's uniqueness and and um, brave brave ability to enter into society with the genuineness of who he is suddenly are now saying everything that he claimed about his own experience of conversion therapy is a ruse. And, and that actually forced his family out into the open where Chase said everything he said has been false. Wow. But when he first came out with how he'd been tortured and mistreated, I mean, he, he's been before government um, officials declaring that that this is a thing that has happened to him and we have to ban conversion therapy in all 50 states and 
And with a man that has such detail of the abuse and the way that he was tortured and mistreated cannot give you the name of the person that did it to him and cannot tell you where it happened because no such person exists and no event happened. And his family has corroborated that. And once he got caught stealing that woman's luggage, it all came out in, the, in public. And then all of a sudden, all these all these uh, people in the limelight with uh, LGBT, like uh, Wayne Besson, he's a, he's a very staunch activist for all things um, LGBT. And then suddenly they're, they're saying, well, you know, this, we're, we're, we're highly doubting that this even happened. But we saw this happen across the nation. People making up stories about how they were mistreated and tortured and called it conversion therapy. And, um, they've managed to dupe a lot of people. But, you know, it's not something that's practiced. Well, yeah, there's uh, there are a lot of comments. If you just even Google this, there are a tremendous amount of comments about this out there. Uh, my name is Mary Danielson. We're talking to Jim Farrington of First Stone Ministries. Uh, great conversation, great testimony. Um, remember to visit StandForTheTruth.com and sign up for our weekly podcast digest via your email inbox. On the top menu bar, click subscribe. Enter your first name and email address. Feedback is also encouraged. Comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. And we'll be back shortly with more uh, from Jim Farrington, again, of First Stone Ministries. And let's remind you, everyone, also tomorrow, it's a repeat prod- podcast from July 2022. Justin Peters is the guest, and he's calling out some sacred cows in the Christian music industry. Tomorrow, a repeat broadcast at 9 a.m. Central on Q90FM and Q90FM.com slash listen. More Stand Up For The Truth coming up. Your prayers and ongoing financial support keep our Truth at Any Cost mission strong. StandUpForTheTruth.com Welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth for today. My name is Mary Danielson. Our guest is Jim Farrington, First Stone Ministries, uh, FirstStone.org. And uh, part of what they do is to educate churches and Christians on how they can respond biblically, compassionately, and knowledgeably knowledgeably to those impacted by homosexuality, relational and sexual sins, abuse and AIDS, and the uh, freedom from homosexuality. Uh, we emphasis is not a method, but a person, Jesus Christ. Uh, recently, I, I found this in the news, uh, and I think they mentioned it in the morning program here. Michigan House passes a bill to make hurting someone's feelings a hate crime. A bill recently passed by Michigan's House of Representatives would make causing someone to feel terrorized, frightened, or threatened based on their gender identity or expression a hate crime. It's a felony punishable by imprisonment for up to two years or a fine of up to $5,000 or both. I don't know, Jim. I think Michigan makes me feel terrorized, frightened, and threatened. I don't know about you. Uh, any thoughts on well, this, it, Bill? It well, I, I, it's really sad and that that our government um, come around something like, oh, my gosh, their feelings are going to get hurt. Mm. So we have to make sure that no one ever does anything that ever hurts that right. person's feelings. Can you imagine the legislation that will come out yeah. as a result of doing this? Yeah. That it's it's going to go it's going to go over the top ridiculous because just being able able to even even having a testimony of what Jesus has done mm-hmm. um, it, it empowers people to punish those who do not agree with them, and I think that that's that's terrible. Like yeah. what, where have we come in our society that we're not e- we're not even able now to have a a, a, a a conversation 
of differing opinions um, without without fear of reprisal or punishment mm-hmm. that now we have to it's meant to shut down the voice of truth. And, and we know where that comes from. That does not, you know, when the word tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness in the heavenly places, this is what you're looking at. Yeah. It, this, this is, this is absolutely diabolical and demonic. Well, it says, um, it says the actual perceived characteristics of another individual referenced under the subsection include all of the following race or color, religion, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity or expression, physical or mental disability, age, ethnicity, national origin, association or affiliation with an individual or group of individuals in whole or in part based on a characteristic described above. Well, this is everybody. This is life. So it's it's, right. it's so far-reaching. And I heard someone say once, well, when people cannot govern their own emotions, they pass a lot of laws to make you govern their emotions for them. And it's just... Or make you- Make you bow down to them. Oh, yes, it's one ridiculous. one of the two. Yep, it is ridiculous. Yeah. But they so like for instance, I'm going to throw something at you. I don't know that you've considered this before, but when you have people that are that are saying that my pronouns are they and them, that most people do not catch that that conversation started with my. Hmm. Mm-hmm. They don't even believe what they say. <laughs> they don't believe that they are they and them. They it, it's meant to cause people. To bow down to their ideology or whatever whatever they're they're saying, and if you don't, by golly, there's there's going to be some punishment involved. That's what that is. It's just it's nefarious. Yeah, it's, it's tyranny. It is. Uh, yes, it is. Yeah. There, there's um, also the thought that sexual desires can change. You know, the pull of desires in a particular direction can weaken. Uh, you know, there's dren- gender fluidity. Uh, there's also right. sexual fluidity, right? But it never seems to go in the other direction. It only goes towards the homosexual movement or towards the, you know, the pronouns and that sort of thing. So if it really is fluidity, yeah. why does it never go towards healing? Well, and it's interesting that you point that out because they, they use it as an argument to be able to say that a man who claimed he was heterosexual now identifies as gay and there's all, all the celebration around it because, you know, we're, we're, we're sexual beings and sexuality is fluid. But like, wait a minute, you know, this is where we, this is where we actually refer to LGBT as a cult because hmm. the, the mantra is you can, you can join, but you can never leave. Ooh. And yeah, that's the truth. If you look at it, all the energy that comes out, uh, against people that, I mean, and it's really intense. It's very hmm. intense, the vitriol that comes towards someone that says that there's a way out. Um, and, and when, I mean, look at it from this standpoint. We have the faith to believe that an alcoholic can change and can, can redirect the course of his life. Uh, in, in faith, uh, a person overcoming, um, um, just over the weekend, um, our director of women's ministries and myself, we met with a couple that have the testimony of coming out of drug and alcohol abuse and, and how Jesus has broken into their lives and transformed them. Why do we have the faith to believe that a person dealing with drugs or alcoholism can can make it a life-altering change for the better, but not someone who has struggled with same-sex attraction? Wow. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. It is. Um, and, and in my own experience, um, um, I never had that that as a kid um, that I, I felt different um, even though I was I mean I was you know talented ex- you know perceptive emotional 
Um, and I wasn't, you know, like the sports kid. I didn't, I didn't play sports and that was not something I was welcome into. My dad had his own little world with sports, but, um, that was never something that really hovered over my life. But I do remember making that choice to, you know, that mm-hmm. I must be this way. Um, do I have a, a, an affinity toward women? I do. Um, I was 15 years old in a relationship with a 30 year old woman, you know, mm-hmm. um, and my mom told her to stay away from me. <laughs> Um, but, but this idea, and part of it is is that, um, it, it has to deal with coming in agreement with God's word. Mm -hmm. That's been my experience. Um, coming in agreement with God, calling it what God calls it and laying it at the, at the foot of the cross. Mm -hmm. I firmly believe that, that when, when we do bring these things to Jesus and it depends too. Imagine telling someone that has been sowing into their flesh for 30 plus years um, that that want freedom, right? But they struggle. And then telling them that just come to Jesus and that all will be well. That's not, that's, that's very disingenuous because mm-hmm. you've had years and years and years of sowing into a mindset. Um, we know that, that science shows that aberrant sexual behavior actually creates neural pathways. Um, and those neural pathways, they have to be starved and they actually have to have new neural pathways built in wow. order to be a, an overcoming of that sexual behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and I remember even when I first came out of the lifestyle that I had, I had, uh, gotten wind, um, about, about the reality concerning neural pathways. And, um, Ted Roberts says the Cocker series, and even his panel of doctors and psychologists and um, um, scientists, they they even they did a brain scan um, of two men. One is on heroin, and the other brain was on porn. And the one on porn was more eroded than the one on heroin. So we know that average sexual behavior does have a, a literal effect on the physical structure of the brain. Hmm. Um, so it, it's a, it's a matter of, um, uh, of creating a a whole new way of life, a whole new way of dealing with things. And and biblically, it's about allowing the Word of God, which is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, mm-hmm. able to judge between the division of bone and marrow and judges the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God has the capacity to transform a man wow. from the inside out. Wow. We and said- when we start, we start letting God inform our mind, right? Um, for we have the mind of Christ, and... Um, it, it actually has the power to redirect how we think and what we think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for some people, it, if, it, if, it's, if it's an ongoing struggle, that might be your thorn in the flesh until you, until you go to be with him. Right. Right. We, we don't tell anybody that you know, Jesus can just change everything in, in, a, in, a, in the blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. Can he do that? Absolutely he can do that. He right. can do whatever he wants. Right. But it, it's about coming in an agreement with him. And that's, that was part of the process for me. I remember when I first moved back to Oklahoma to start doing the hard work of uncovering everything that had been sewn into me sexually and, and whatnot. Um, one of the things that God said to me, I was out in public somewhere and the temptation to look on a, on a man with covetousness. And I heard the Lord say to me, no, no man according to the flesh. Mm-hmm. And I knew that was from the word of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think that's in Corinthians, but 
um, it it became the thing. I experienced this a lot with God. I'll hear God say something to me that, that is from the Word, and then I have to go look for it. So I, I'm like, I don't know where it is, but I know it's in there. And I have. I've, I've encountered it. He's directed my steps, right? Mm-hmm. We plan our ways, but He directs our steps. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, we don't make promises to people that God's going to just change you, and you're instantly going to start, you know, being attracted to women. Mm -hmm. Is that possible, though, in the testimonies of the people that I've met? Absolutely Mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. Yes, and people need to understand that the, the default setting in humans is towards sin. That That's why Jesus Absolutely. came in the first place. And I also think of the verse while you're talking about the neural pathways is, as a man thinketh in his heart, so shall he be so shall That's he become. Right. And so we think, and we, and so the, the thought process, the, the thinking, the brain, the heart, the soul and the spirit of a man, we don't necessarily understand how that all comes together. But the Bible clearly says that we think in our hearts and then we shall become. So that's a very interesting, thank you for that, uh, uh, yeah. differentiation there. Uh, I want to ask you about, and this is a great segue to talking about, um, well, this is very sad that it would be in the church, but we've seen a downgrade in the church in, especially progressive churches of accepting um, gay theology or whatever you want to call it. There's, um, there are four different things. When I was doing some research, and you can tell me what you think about this, there are four different approaches um, to homosexuality, alternative lifestyles in the church today. The first one is gay partnerships, you know, and this would be the more liberal churches. God made me this way. I'm supposed to, you know, have a partnership, um, celebrate gay relationships, and you know, God designed it this way, live and let live. And so that would be on the one uh, left end of the spectrum, literally. Then there's also the, um, I, I believe this is unchangeable, but I'm abstaining. I, I'm not having that relationship. I am just, I'm born with an inclination. God did not design it this way, but I'm living a chaste life. Then there's one, um, to renounce this lifestyle, to renounce these, this identity, um, I'm found in Christ. I'm not, uh, my identity is in Christ, not in the struggle. Same with any sin. My identity is not in my struggle. Uh, and so the belief there is a call to repentance, obedience in Christ, and then support for a godly living. And finally, t- the transformation, um, is, my hope is in Christ for a transformed life, repentance, discipleship, obedience, and healing. What do you think about those four as far as the church goes? Are all four of those in the quote unquote church these days? Well, so what you're talking about is uh, there, there, we have a, uh, a resource on our website. It's uh, Differing Views, and it has four columns. Now, you have side A and side B, which is, most people are pretty familiar with. The side A is everything out and proud, everything affirming, God blesses everything. Um, then in the side B, it's more of a... Um, um, a I'm trying to think of this. Um, they don't. They don't celebrate in the way that column A does, okay. but they still leave room for the gay Christian ethic. And then the the third pillar would be um, that that there is an agreement with God about his um, the way that he designed man and woman as created intent, um, but that they believe that there's there's no causality. They don't adhere to. Or, or I should say contributing factors are really as more of an astute word, mm-hmm. contributing factors to that. But at the fourth column um, is that we, you know, where we stand, we believe in transformation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and the church said, so when I, I mentioned earlier that 
the church was not equipped to handle what came out of left field Mm -hmm. at them. And what we've seen happen is that the culture has dictated to the church what love looks like rather than the church dictating to the culture what love is. And because of that, you have you have people, ignorant people who are, are not fully grounded in the Word of God, beginning to get their their instruction from those who don't know Him, uh, from those who are, mm. are mired in their sin. Um, I find it very interesting that Jesus, in his, uh, his discussion with Capernaum, he tells them, and you, Capernaum, if the works done in, that have been done in you had been done in Sodom, they would remain to this day. And that is a huge hmm. thing. Can you, can you imagine the people of Sodom and Gomorrah having the things that Jesus did done in them, and they would have repented? And, and we have something even worse now. Um, mm-hmm. As for, um, But one of the things that I like to, to, to lift up in the way of biblical truth to address this love is love and that Jesus just loves and that, you know, there's no judgment. He never, he never does anything adverse. He's blessed with everything that we do. Um, in, in Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 21, Jesus has a dialogue with the man who approaches him and says, what must I do to be saved? And he says, good teacher. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? There's no one good but God alone. And he's addressing that because we have the capacity to think that we're good, that we're, you know, that we're, 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 we're all good. Um, he says, do these things. He lists them off. The man says, I've done them from you. And then he says something very interesting, and I don't see this anywhere in the other Gospels. He says, the, Jesus, looking on the man, loved him mm. and told him, one thing you lack, go sell all you have, give it to the poor, and take up your cross and follow me. Mm. That is love. To be able to look on people with love and say, lead a crucified life. Mm. Mm. That is the truth. And yeah. that's something that the church has not done well. And as a result of that, they're starting to put these pride flags out there over their congregations. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm very concerned about it because I believe that there is a demonic presence behind that pride flag, number one. And number two, when you have a church that raises that up and starts making room for LGBT, that church is on the way out the door because yeah. they're already dismissing um, huge, huge parts of the Word of God. Mm-hmm. They, they have a tendency to focus on certain scriptures and argue uh, against based on these scriptures, but all throughout the New Testament, Timothy, Ephesians, um, uh, Titus, um, um, Jude, they're all saying the exact same thing. And you can't dismiss that. You can't dismiss that one little thing and expect that your your congregation is going to be biblically sound because it won't. Yeah. And 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 I I dare to say that some people are going to end up becoming atheists mm. because once you start doing that, you are. If the word tells us to not be deceived, do you think it's because we have the capacity to be deceived? <laughs> yeah. Yes, uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. You're listening to Stand for the Truth um, with Jim Farrington of First Stone Ministries, firststone.org. Yes, uh, love, you know, what is love? And I think that the church has really totally dropped the ball on that. I want to uh, talk to you about something here with the time we have left, a couple things. I read an article recently about how America, now, now this movement is all over the world. This isn't just a USA month of June kind of thing. I read an article right. about how America exports the homosexual culture around the world by first, um, over time, wearing people down through pornography, and then after that, the, the porn addicts tend to lose any reservations about alternative lifestyles, anything goes, and then the end game, which is just horrific, pedophilia becomes normalized. 
Do you uh, uh, t- agree that the downgrade of sexual s- sin starts with pornography? Absolutely, absolutely. So what we know about pornography is that Alfred Kinsey is the one who opened mm-hmm. that door. Mm-hmm. Judith, Dr. Judith Reisman, bless her, she's with Jesus now, but she wrote a book, um, uh, I think it's called Sex, Kinsey, and Fraud, something like that. Mm-hmm. I've and heard of her, yes, I've heard of her. And she goes on to chronicle that. So Kinsey per, 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 uh, presented to our our government um, these findings, and I do that in, in air quotes. These findings about human sexuality, um, completely deceiving people on on the data that he he um, um, developed um, as to how he did it, and the test subjects were children. And the people carrying out the testings were pedophiles. And the youngest victim was five months old. That's egregious. What? Um, when you go, if you start looking up her research, it's horrific, absolutely horrific. And then presenting our government with this idea that, that especially men, men are really driven sexually. And so we, we really need this. And Hugh Hefner got a, got a whiff of Alfred Kinsey and said, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm on board. And that's where we got Playboy. The mm-hmm. advent of pornography was was the beginning of the downfall. Um, and what? And I want to point out something um, in my own my own research um, books that I'm reading. Um, in terms of, I, I'm still in a place where I'm I'm still healing from the trauma that I experienced from molestation. Um, I had over 34 different people that poured into me sexually, and pornography was part of it. Oh. Um, that that one of the things that we need to be angry about, that we really need to be angry about, is that the the, the people that are developing the pornography have a, a solid understanding that mm-hmm. um, the the brokenness of people, and they develop pornography to tie in with people's brokenness. It it, it that's why pornography is so prevalent. That's why it, you've got over seventy percent, I think it is of pastors that are having issues with pornography. It is all over mm-hmm. the place, and it does have... And when you look in Romans, in Romans before you ever get to that part where they're, be, they're given over to degrading passions, they have already been um, in this place of idolatry, sexual uncleanness, mm-hmm. sexual defilement, um, where it says three times, God gave them over, God gave them over, God gave them over, and that's what we're looking at now. I mean, I, I'm, I'm like, I'm still looking at what's happening in our world going, God, when? Mm-hmm. You know, how long, oh Lord? Because, mm-hmm. because the children are the, are the, are the sacrificial lambs to this, this, this movement. You know, it's mm-hmm. not a mistake that they're going after the children. Wow. Can you imagine a biblically illiterate generation rising up that is mired in sexual uncleanness and mm-hmm. defilement? Well, and one of the, people who has brought this into the church uncompromisingly, and I say that in a very negative way, Matthew Vines, author of God and the Gay Christian, the biblical case in support of same-sex relationships. Really, excuse me. Well, he talks about in Romans 1, 26 and 27, where it says uh, men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Um, and he says that the natural function for that which is unnatural, he said it's natural inclination. So basically what he's saying is whatever's natural for you. And I don't know. Wow. I mean, the church has bought 
his what he is selling basically. Uh, in 2013, he launched the Reformation Project, a biblical-based Christian nonprofit organization that works to advance LGBTQ inclusion in the church while remaining grounded in a love for God, a love for the Bible, a love for the church. And there's a prime example of someone using a word that they don't. It doesn't mean what they think they mean, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's go back to the garden. What was the argument that Satan used for these? As God mm-hmm. said. As God said. Mm-hmm. You surely shall not die. Mm-hmm. That is that is the same lie that's being perpetuated today through Matthew Vines and all these other players um, that are that are promoting homosexuality and and getting the churches to come on board. Mm-hmm. It's the same exact thing. It's just a different face. And 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 what I would say is that here here's here's where the rubber meets the road. If you are not solidly ground on the Word of God, then you, then I believe that you can be deceived. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't take much. If you've got someone that is convincing you, I mean, and 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 the Word talks about this um, that 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 there's there's going to be people that infiltrate the church with mm-hmm. deception. Uh, they're going to bring forth doctrines of demons. I mean, we you know. We're, we're in a society that's, that's been raised by Hollywood, so we have these like grandiose ideas of what that looks like. But it's actually so much more more uh, subtle um, than we, than we really realize. Right. And right. That that you have to look at all that they're saying, yeah. not just not just a couple of things, but look at yeah. everything that he that, that Matthew Bynes is saying. Yeah. Um, my, Dr. Michael Brown has engaged him on on uh, there's a YouTube video uh, Moody Radio interview okay. that he did with Matthew Vine. Okay. And right. it was funny because Michael Brown is even saying, "So you're telling me that Jesus did, was not aware of the ability for people to have committed homosexual relationships." Hmm. And the, the the ludicrousy of that, you're like the God of all creation doesn't know his own creation. Right. Um, I beg to differ. But <laughs> and then Dr. Robert Gagnon, um, solid man in the Word of God. This man is so astute. He's very very smart. God's gifted him with critical thinking. Um, he's a theologian and he is solid. And he can he can tackle any one of these people in a debate. Wow. Wow, so many things out there, resources, especially on your site, firststone.org, books, documentaries, other resources. We're out of time. I know we could have probably gone a long time. Jim, thank you. Thank you so much for your testimony, the work you've been doing, um, the many, many years of the ministry. Um, I mean, this is so needed in the church today. And it's just, it's, we're in a dark day, you know, the days of Lot and the days of Noah, and it's just going to continue to get worse and worse. So thank you so much right. for your faithfulness, for standing up for the truth, and uh, we appreciate you. Thank, thank you so much, Jim. You're welcome. Uh, okay, um, one thing I didn't get to, you know, but I know there's parents out there who have prodigals. Maybe you raise your kids in the church, and they've been swayed by this, um, you know, uh, we agree with you, we pray with you and for you, for your kids. Uh, so another podcast here on Stand Up For The Truth. And uh, we're looking forward to um, some headlines on Thursday. Chris Quintana on Friday. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. My name is Mary Danielson. Thank you so much for joining us on Stand Up For The Truth. <laughs>